we have our, our readings in Lent are meant to sober us up, and we've got uh, readings today that definitely do that. Um, generally speaking, what I would say this, just to kind of let you in on my, my own little, I don't know, my personal spiritual life. The In my own spiritual meditations, um, I very often will engage with material that is much, much more heavy and serious than what I actually preach. Okay, I try to take it easy on people here, but I, I have a high tolerance for like really heavy, heavy stuff. Sometimes during daily masses, though, I kind of le- the more of the heavy stuff comes out a little bit because it's a smaller group. It's kind of easier to, to sort of like predict how my message is going to be received and things like that. So I'll share with you some of the, the heavy topic that I was I was reading and meditating on and praying over this morning. Um, we see first of all in our readings here, just to tie it into our readings. Uh, the Lord is not messing around. He, he says, look, you gotta live a good life. You gotta repent and you gotta live a good life. Okay? And you get that really clear in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is saying, look, if there's someone who's a sinner and they repent and they start to live a good life, they're gonna be okay. They're gonna be saved. If they're living a good life, but they turn from that, okay, and they start living a bad life, sorry, but there's, you know, God's judgment is gonna come upon them. And then Jesus in our gospel is very clear. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to make it. You're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the Sermon on the Mount is a very challenging, very, very challenging part of the Bible. And it's really the kind of the, the Christianity in a nutshell. So really, go, go to the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, just three chapters. Basically takes the whole religion, just puts it right into a... A little small package for us, but it's very heavy duty. It's very, very challenging. And Jesus is not mincing words and he's not, you know, trying to make people feel nice. He's saying, you have to live a good life. If you don't, you're not going to enter in the kingdom of heaven. So the, the question I was reading about and meditating upon this morning was this. From all eternity, God sees the fate and the eternal destiny of all human beings who have ever lived. Okay. And some will be in heaven and some will be in hell. And so those who are eventually end up with eternal life are referred to in the Bible as the elect, okay? And then those who end up in hell are referred to as the damned, okay? And there's both. There's both categories. Questions over the centuries, theologians have asked the question, like, what's the relative proportion of these two? Are there more people damned than in heaven, more people uh, elect than damned, more people damned and elect. What's that, you know, what's the proportion? And that question has been asked and, and theologians have given different opinions. Um, but the real consensus is that ultimately this has not been revealed to us. We don't know that proportion of, you know, are there more people in heaven and than in hell? So, forth. so we don't know that. It's, it's an unknown quantity. How many human beings have ever existed or will ever exist on the earth by the time all human history comes to an end? An immense multitude. I couldn't even guess. Maybe 15 billion, 20 billion? I don't know. Okay, that's just a total off the top of my head guess. Huge number of human beings. So if we just take a moment this morning to kind of step back and we think about this reality of all the human beings who have ever lived, some will enter into life, some will enter into eternal condemnation. And we don't know the number, and that's probably God's wisdom. 
so as to for us to either like if we knew that the number of the lost was more than the number of the saved, we might fall into despair. Okay, if we knew that the number of the saved was like way more than the lost, we might get a little overconfident. <laughs> so it's this is God's wisdom of like not actually revealing this to us. And our job is to make sure that as far as we as an individual is concerned, we're living a good life. Okay? And there is uh this I'll just share with you this book. I find this uh in me personally, it's very edifying for me. There are traditionally Eight signs of those who are of the elect. Eight signs that you can look for. St. Peter tells us, and I think it's Second Peter, he says, make your election and your calling more sure by, and then he, he lists these different virtues and, and different kinds of things that we can exhibit in our lives, thereby we can make the chances, so to speak, at least of our own knowledge of, of ending up in heaven, more sure. But in any event, the theologians have designated eight different signs of uh, the elect. And the first sign is a good life. It's pretty kind of obvious, right? A good life. And then the second one is the testimony of a good conscience. And that's interesting too. It's interesting that that comes second. Because see, our conscience is fallible. Okay, so the judgment about whether we're in a good place or not is not, it's, it's all we've got to go by, but it's not absolutely infallible like God's knowledge. So the main thing is to live a good life. So then that would naturally lead us to say, okay, well, what's a good life? And we should all our lives long saying to ourselves, what is a good life? How should I live in a way that's pleasing to God? And let me do that. That's got to be my first priority. But then also the testimony of a good conscience. And... Thirdly, patience and adversities for love of God. Isn't that neat? Fourth, um, love for the Word of God. That's, that's a nice one too. Fifth is mercy towards those who suffer. Sixth is the love of enemies. That's great. You know, and that's not common to find that. It's easy to hate people who don't like you. You know, so but to love those who love you is a really great sign that you are on the right path. Um, seventh, humility. Eighth, special devotion to Mary. Isn't that neat? Special devotion to Mary. So the other thing that you know we can think of here is, uh, along with the the. Seriousness and the reality of what it is to really embrace a good life and to live a good life and to make that our number one priority is gratitude for what we have as Catholics. We so often as Catholics take for granted the incredible helps that God gives to us to make sure that we end up in eternal, with eternal life. He's given us so many things. The sacraments are amazing. There is nothing as powerful as the Eucharist, which we're about to receive in Holy Communion. There's nothing as powerful as the Eucharist to ensuring that our hearts and our wills are conformed to God's heart and will. Nothing is powerful and as potent as the Eucharist. We have the sacrament of reconciliation. If you've got a bad conscience, go and confess your sins. You've got it. You, you, there's tons of confessors everywhere. There's lots of opportunity celebrate that sacrament, we have priests that come to us on our deathbed and help us and give us the sacraments. Um, we have the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
Right? Isn't that an amazing thing? To have her as a help, to have the rosary, to have, be, have a recourse to Mary's intercession. That's a wonderful thing. So there's so many reasons to, to, uh, for gratitude to God. Um, and, uh, but, but this Lent is a time for us to kind of be sober and serious and say like, okay, we gotta take this thing seriously. I gotta live a good life. Thank God He's given me the means to do that. Uh, and, and let's do that.